Let's turn for a little to the chapter we read in uh, Philippians chapter 3. And looking at these well-known verses from verse 7 to 11, chapter 3. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection (coughs) from the dead. (coughs) As we know, Paul was a a real Jew. Uh, There was a time in his life when Paul uh, depended upon his Jewishness uh, as being that which would make him right with God. He was as orthodox a Jew as you could get. He was, as he tells us, he gives us a wee bit of his personal history, that he was uh, circumcised on the eighth day. He was of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. So he was right in there, as it were, into the very elite, uh, a major part uh, of the Jewish community. Uh, He always thought that his Jewishness was a passport to heaven. But of course, there came a time when when Paul met, or Saul as he was then, he met with Jesus. Or more accurately, uh, Jesus met with him. And from that moment, the Jewishness that he depended on, which he saw as a passport to heaven, was something straight away that he realized wasn't. And that nothing but a personal encounter, a personal uh, union relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ was the only way uh, to heaven. As Jesus himself said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Well, the Apostle Paul, back as he was, as Saul, didn't know that, he didn't understand that. And he looked on his own, his own righteousness, he looked at his own attempts to keep the law, as that which would make him right with God. That God, the more he would try and keep to the law. That's why the Pharisees, they built law after law after law upon God's law. So that they would be, they made made life almost intolerable. Because they had built this system of little man-made laws on the top of God's law to try and make absolutely sure that all the time they were trying to trying their hardest to keep to God's law. And they thought by doing that, the better that they could keep to God's law, by adding all these laws, the more that God would accept them. And so Paul was basing his Jewishness, his Jewish background, on his, as it were, his right, his passport to heaven. But when he met with the Lord Jesus Christ, that went. And he realized that his his background, although it was a great privilege, didn't open an automatic door to heaven for him. And you know, the same thing can, can be true often for ourselves as we, if we grow up within the church or grow up within a Christian community or within a Christian family. We can look on 
the privilege that we have as an automatic uh, passport, as it were, into heaven. We can assume that because we've attended church, because we have a Bible in the home and read it and such like, then that automatically that opens the door to heaven. But while these are great privileges and great opportunities and great blessings, unless we come to a personal union, a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, then that doesn't open the door to heaven for us. This is the only way, as Jesus himself says. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we, we mustn't underestimate the great privilege, because I'm sure it might not be the case for everybody, but for most people who come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they have often come from a Christian family, or they have been brought up within the church. There are many, of course, that that's not the case for. There are many people who, who, who didn't have that kind of background. But it is, it's a wonderful privilege, and it's a wonderful uh, starting point, and it's a great blessing. But as we say, until we come to that actual personal union for ourselves, uh, then it doesn't guarantee us anything. And that's what, what the Lord Jesus uh, keeps telling us. So Paul, actually, when, when he looked back at all the things which he thought really guaranteed his place in heaven, where he really thought that everything was absolutely fine for him, when he saw all these things, as we mentioned it, he says in verse 5, all these particular things, these were the things in his own, in his own mind, in Saul's own life, where he saw that he was a somebody that he, within the Jewish community, was somebody. He was, in fact, he tells us elsewhere that he sat at the feet of the great uh, Gamaliel, this great teacher of the law. And so Paul, or as he was then, Saul would have prided himself on his learning, of his knowledge of the law, of his adherence to the law. And he thought that this righteousness that he had in keeping to the law was that which was putting him in a good standing with the Lord. When Jesus came into his life, he saw, actually, these things don't mean anything. As we said, they were privileges, but they didn't count. And that's why he said, I actually count them as refuse. It's just like the stuff you take and throw into the bin. These things don't, they, they, they didn't count. That which I based my, my standing on, my popularity on, my, thought I was a somebody, I came to realize I'm a nobody. And uh, this is one of the great things that, 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 that uh, Paul came to understand. And so he discovered that in Christ he had everything, out of Christ he had nothing. It was Jim Elliot who was uh, martyred, uh, the missionary, and he said one of the, the great quotes, he is no fool to give up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. And that is so true. It's no fool to give up what you cannot keep in order to gain what you cannot lose. And in a sense, that's what, how the Apostle Paul would say to Jim Elliot, yet bang on, that's exactly how it is. What we cannot keep, and you swap it for what you cannot lose. So what has Paul gained? Well, the first thing he says, he has come to know Christ. And in fact, he says of that knowledge, indeed I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And so this 
is what happened when the moment that Jesus came into Saul's life, everything changed. And it changes for everybody. Now, a lot of people will never have a dramatic conversion like Saul of Tarsus did. And the thing is, a lot of people actually look for that kind of conversion. There's a lot of people within the, within the sphere of the church. And they go week after week and month after month and year after year. And they're still looking for this like blinding flash from heaven. And where they have this extraordinary experience. And uh, unless they have that, then they think that can, there cannot be salvation. I would say that these, these moments of dramatic conversion are actually quite, I shouldn't say rare, but I would say that the majority of people come to faith through a gradual opening up of their understanding of the light coming to slowly dawn in upon them. They often come to faith after a maybe a long period of seeking where they've been, there's been an interest in their heart for a long time, maybe over years. They've been searching and seeking Sometimes that seeking has been intent, uh, intense. Other times it has it's waxed and it's waned. It's sometimes come and it's sometimes gone. But it's still there. And then they come to this place where it's like their eyes are opened and they come to see Jesus and they, they, they're able to lay hold upon him. Some people it is dramatic. A friend of mine, he went to, had no interest in the gospel at all. And he was dragged literally dragged to church by his wife. And uh, he had no, as I say, he wasn't, used to even hide the car keys so his wife couldn't get to church. He just had no, didn't, didn't. And anyway, he was, his wife managed to persuade him there were special services. And there was no more reluctant person going into the church that day. But his eyes were opened during that service to see Jesus and he was, he was saved. And he came out of church almost like the man that was in the, in, the, in the temple who was born. You remember the man with the lame uh, who was leaping and praising God. He was just, it, his life was changed just in that service. Now that does happen. But as I say, very often it is more a gradual dawning of the light. But of course, maybe what we don't grasp is that actual regeneration from God's point is in a moment. That we are born again, as it were, in a moment. But the outworking of that can take a long time from our point of view, from our own experience. And, but, as we say, for, for, the, for Saul, it was dramatic. Because it, it couldn't, you couldn't have had a more extreme picture of somebody who hated Christ and hated the Christian with a passion. And we mean a, mean a passion. He hated, his, Saul's great aim was to obliterate Christianity from the face of the earth. He was a Judaizer, he was a, he was a real Jew. And as far as he was concerned, Jesus Christ was an imposter. He was somebody who had come making the most outrageous claims of being the Son of God. He wasn't the Messiah in, in Saul's eyes. And as far as Saul was concerned, he was delighted that Jesus had been put to death on the cross. And when Stephen was martyred, you remember how they laid their clothes, those who were stoning Stephen, at the feet of a young man, Saul. And whether it was a splash of Stephen's blood or whether it was what he saw, it inflamed within him a passion to destroy Christianity off the face of the earth. 
And he was on, on a mission, remember when, when he was converted, he was on a mission down to Damascus to capture, to, to take in Christians. And it tells us he was breathing out slaughter. In other words, his very breath, his, his whole mission in life was to destroy Christianity. And it was on that mission, on that journey, that Jesus interrupted his life. And Jesus, remember, just from heaven, this blinding flash of light. And from that moment, you remember how the the voice came, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul, of course, became a changed man through that revelation that he had of Jesus, where he came, came to submit before the power and the authority of Christ. And that change in his life was so radical. Because remember when, he, when Ananias was sent to go and see Saul. Ananias said, oh no, I can't go and see that man. That's, number, that's public enemy. That's uh, the Christian's enemy. He's the number one enemy. He's, he's, he's going to try and destroy us. But remember who the Lord said to Ananias. He's praying. He's a different man. And of course, the church took a wee while to accept Saul on board. And no wonder because of uh, what he had been. But his whole life was given that to <laughs> the very cause that he was trying to obliterate was now the very cause that he was trying to, to enlarge and to, to make, to, to grow and develop. And so when Paul was converted, everything became crystal clear. Nobody could ever come to the Apostle Paul and say to him, you know, Paul, you've got it wrong. (laughs) He would say, got it wrong? No, I haven't. I 100% know who Jesus Christ is. He has come into my life. I have met with him. You cannot fool me and tell me that that I've been deceived. You cannot fool me and tell me that it's it's just a weird imagination, that it's my mind playing tricks. That this uh, Christianity is, uh, this whole faith business is, that it isn't real. It is as real as anything. And it's here that the great advantage came to Paul. And that's the great advantage of people who've been brought up within the church, who brought up with the scripture, is that Saul, as he was then, was somebody who had studied the scripture. He knew the Old Testament inside out. But his understanding of the Messiah was all wrong because so many of the rabbis, and that's always a danger with prophecy, uh, particularly biblical prophecy, that you're, with what's in the future, that in our attempt to work out what it is, we come to really strong, established, what we believe are facts. Now, sometimes the prophecies can be very vague. But once they're fulfilled, then they become crystal clear. And you say, oh yeah, that's what that is. And that is the problem is that although the the Old Testament was full of the Messiah of Christ, they had had a wrong perception, or at least so many of them had, of the kind of person he would be. They thought he was going to be like a military ruler, a great political figure, Somebody who was going to come and release them from whatever tyranny they might be under. So that once again they would become the great dominant uh, nation like they were under the days in the days of David. He was going to be the son of David. 
So they they had this idea and this grew and grew and became greater and greater. So when Jesus came, initially there were thoughts, this might be him. They wanted to remember at the very beginning, in the time of all the miracles and when amazing things happening in the life of Jesus, they wanted to take him and make him king. But as time went on, Jesus' way was so radical and so different to what they expected. He wasn't even keeping to their man-made laws. As far as they were concerned, he was reckless. He, they were saying, you cannot be a man of God. Because Jesus wasn't adhering to their man-made laws. Yes, he was honoring God's law. But he wasn't tied into all the, the extras that were... And that, they, were, they were going crazy. And they found him a threat to their own power, to their own uh, popularity to their own rule within the communities. And so they decided they've got to get rid of Christ. They saw him just as a person. And his teaching, although they had to agree that nobody taught with the authority, they said, uh, this man teaches with an authority that the scribes and the Pharisees don't have. But his teaching was so different. He was, it, it, it was just, everything was so new. And his, his ways were radical and revolutionary. And so they, they dismissed Christ. But what happened then, for the like of Saul, once he was converted, all the Old Testament teaching kicked in. And he began to understand, because as the light dawned into his heart, then everything began to open up. And it's the same for you and for me. If we have had that background where... So much of the truth has been part of our life, but it has never become personal. Once a person comes to faith, then it's, it, you begin to flourish and you begin to see everything coming together and everything beginning to make sense. And so uh, the Apostle Paul, had, he had seen, he had come to see Christ. And he was also remembering the witness of the Christian. He had seen the Christian in their life. And he had seen the Christian in their death. And all these things, of course, had made an impression upon him. But the wonderful thing for the Apostle Paul is that when he got to know the Lord Jesus Christ, the knowledge that he got of Christ was such that he just wanted more and more. And from being, you see, this is the great difference about knowing about a person. And coming to know that person. When, when, I, when I was a young boy, there were only two things I was interested in school. One was PE and the other was Scottish history. I had, a, I had quite a passion for, for Scottish history back then when I was a, was a boy. And I, I loved all the, the stories and the characters and the, 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 the Wallaces, the Bruce, the Black Douglas, all these people. And I would try and read up everything that, that was possible. And even when there were then there, there would, people like Nigel Trant that used to write these books, that there was a mixture of fact and story. And uh, I used to love, love the, these kind of things. But knowing about a person and actually knowing the person are two totally different things. It's the same, with, I suppose, with any of the uh, people that we're always hearing speak. I mean, you can, you can hear uh, politicians, you can hear sportsmen and women speak, and you can see them and uh, them playing and such like, and you hear them and uh, maybe watching people on television and they become... You think you're beginning to get to know them more and more, but you still don't know them. 
They're there. You're here. But it's not until you actually meet with a person and then spend time with a person. And the more time you spend with a person, the more you get to know them. But even sometimes when you get to know a person, as time goes on, you begin to see other aspects and other uh, things about their nature and character. And sometimes we say, I never saw that side to him before. Or I never saw that side to her before. But you know, when you come to know Jesus, there's an automatic desire within your heart is that you'll want to know more and more about him. That's the way it works. And that's how it was for, for Paul. The more, having met with Jesus and having got to know a little about him, he then began to get to know more and more and more. And the knowledge that he got of Jesus became such that he, it, it surpassed anything else. He, just, he was overwhelmed with all that he had come, come to know about him. And so that's why, what, what he says about And that's why in verse, uh, in verse 8 he says, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus my Lord. But then he goes on in verse 10 to say that I might know him. That doesn't mean, of course, he's starting all over again at the beginning. He's simply adding to what he's already said. I've come to know him. And knowing him is worth everything. All the things that I had before are nothing compared to knowing Christ. But you know, the one thing, the one thing I want to do in life is get to know more and more and more and more of him. And you know this, you will never ever be disappointed with your knowledge of Christ. We disappoint one another. As I said, as the more you get to know people, you begin to see sometimes the dark side of people. The other sides that maybe aren't as obvious straight away. Because we, we all have dark sides. We're all, we're not... We're sinners. We all have our old faults and failings. And the more you get to know someone, the more these things become, become evident. Not that we're making judgments about people, because we're not to judge, uh, but it's just it's part and parcel of life. But the reverse is true with Jesus. Because the more you see him, the more wonderful he becomes. There is no dark side to him. There is nothing in any shape or form that... It's perverse or twisted or just, you say, well, that's, 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 there's a characteristic there I'm not too keen on. No, it, it's flawless and it's beautiful and it's precious and you want more and more of this. And that's how, how the apostle was. And then the thing was that, uh, where Paul then realized is that in order to get to know Jesus Christ, he was dependent upon this, being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. In order to experience a deep, meaningful, lasting relationship and fellowship and intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ, we have to be done with, once and for all, our own righteousness. And that is hard. There's two levels to it. There is a first level where we're depending on our own righteousness for salvation. And we all do. Until we come to a place where we see, you know something? My own righteousness doesn't work. Where the Lord brings us to the place and to the point where we come to discover that it's Christ alone that will do. That our own worth 
is worthless. But even after becoming a Christian, we're still depending on our own righteousness so often. And we think that this is what will, what will bring us to a, a, a growing relationship to the Lord. No, it is his righteousness both at a level of justification and at a level of sanctification. His righteousness is the basis for our standing before him, but it's his righteousness at work within him, which is the means by which, by faith, that we get to know more and more of him. It is letting our shells go, and our own efforts, and our own works, and all that we are trying to do to... to you know, this, it's... it's, it's it comes back as we tear, we tear them at the covenant of works. That which from the very beginning is within us. Where we think that we can earn from God. We come to the place, and we can do it as Christians, where God owes us. It's almost like we say, look Lord at how good I have been. You owe me. God owes us nothing. But we have that mentality. And it is, it's to let go of that. And to seek to be found in Christ, in having his righteousness within us, working within us, where we lose ourselves in him. Because that's what we've got to do. Lose ourselves. And that's a problem. Because we don't want to lose ourselves so often. We want, to, we want to keep control. We want to have our hand on the reins. We want, even it's still, there's the me, my. It, and the Lord says, no, you've got to, as it were, almost empty yourself. And be found in me. And Paul discovered that's the key. That's the key to this fellowship. That's the key to the intimacy. That's the key to coming to know more and more and more of Christ. Being found in him. Where you have this, the fellowship. The knowledge of Christ. And uh, Paul then of course he discovered that the righteousness of Christ. And now he, in verse 10 he talks about the fellowship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, uh, we're just rushing through the time is going, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. And we said, as we said already, this knowing, it's, it's, we're wanting to, to know more and more. Now, you see, sometimes when a person is converted, when they come to faith in Jesus Christ, they're content with that. They're what we might term the 30-fold. Remember how Jesus said, that when the good seed falls into ground, into good ground, that it bears fruit. And he said some will bear thirtyfold, some will bear sixtyfold, some will bear a hundredfold. In other words, there will be some Christians and they never seem to be making great strides in their Christian life. They seem to be more content. Well, they know that they've been they pass from death to life. They know that their feet are on the rock that is Christ. But they're content with a little knowledge, with a little faith, with a little love. There doesn't seem to be ever an urgency about them. They're the kind of Christians that are just getting by. And they seem, seem just to live their lives on this one plane all along. For the Apostle Paul, that was unthinkable. He just, once he had come, to discover Christ's feet were on that rock, he just wanted to know more and more and more. So Paul went from the 30-fold, and it wasn't long until he was a 60-fold, and then it wasn't long until he was a 100-fold, bearing a 100-fold fruit. 
because there was this determination with him and this passion within him to know more and more and more. And the more he wanted to know and the more he, he managed to, to know, the more he grew, grew in grace, grew in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. You see, Christ is our risen Savior. And through his rising from the dead, that power has been given over to us. You see, there was both the death and the resurrection of Christ is essential for our faith. And it is that power of the risen Christ that works within our lives. And we cannot be changed without this power. We can't change ourselves. And that's what goes on day by day where we war with sin. Sometimes we lose, sometimes sin is the ascendancy. And some days we feel so unchristlike. And some days we're saying to the Lord, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. But on we go, on we go, on we go, day after day. Remember how it says in Peter, we are kept by the power of God unto salvation. We've been kept. We can't keep ourselves. See, the, when, you, when, you, when you begin to follow the Lord through the working of his spirit within us, that power of the Holy Spirit coming within us is what keeps us going. If I can use it reverently, it's a petrol within us. If we were, if we were engines, it's a petrol within us. If you don't have petrol in your car, if it's a petrol car, you can't go anywhere. If you don't have a battery in your car, you can't go anywhere. Well, at a spiritual level, that is the power. It is the dynamite. It is the same dynamite that comes into our lives. Remember the apostle was saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. It is the dynamite that comes into your heart and blows apart all the rebellion and stubbornness that has refused Christ. And it is blown apart, bringing Christ into your life. Well, it's that same power that continues at work. And without that work, we would have given up long ago. We'd have gone back. We'd have, we'd have closed the book and gone away and said, Nah, I can't do it. Well, we can't, but it's his power that continues to enable us. And so that's what the apostle is saying. I need more and more of this power that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. And it's this same power of his resurrection that will bring about our resurrection as well. There's the resurrection in the sense of new life when we're born again, but we also believe there will be the resurrection of our body after we're laid into the grave. The day will come that just as Jesus rose from the dead, so will we. And then the fellowship of his sufferings, that I might share his suffering, becoming like him in his death. It is inevitable, but that there is suffering in the Christian life. Because part of the qualification for being a Christian is taking up our cross denying ourselves and following him. And that inevitably brings suffering. Even supposing there was no, even supposing you never had any physical suffering, or even supposing you never got harassed for following Christ or any of these things, the very inward suffering through the battles with temptation, with the battles with ourselves, with our fallen human nature, that in itself brings so much suffering within our life. Because the picking up of that cross 
in following Jesus often brings us into conflict with ourselves, with who we are. Before you became a Christian, then you just went. You went with the flow of how, of how you felt and what you... Well, obviously there were, there were parameters, there were boundaries in your life, but it was by and large you just were free and easy. Now this is a great conflict within the Christian life, this struggle. And sometimes the old seems to, it gets in there and, oh my, you're saying, I'm not making, I'm not making headroads here. I'm struggling. I'm really struggling as a Christian. I'm battling and I don't seem to be getting anywhere. Well, that's part of the suffering. This is part of what it is to be a Christian. The whole area of, of temptation and inward conflict and all these things, along with, along with, with everything else. And becoming like him in his death. But you know this, the identity with Christ in scripture is quite extraordinary. Bible tells us all these things. We suffer with Christ. It tells us we're crucified with Christ. It tells us we're dead with Christ. It tells us we're made alive with Christ. It tells us we're raised with Christ. It tells us we're made joint heirs with Christ. It tells us we'll be glorified with Christ enthroned with Christ, and reign with Christ. All these are told to us in Scripture. So you see the identity. When you are found in him, then all these things will be true of you. They're true already, and some of them are still pertaining to the future. I hope today that we all know this Jesus as our own personal Saviour. To be found in him. There's nothing else compares with it. Pray that you will know Jesus as your own personal saviour. Let us pray. Lord our God, we, we pray that we will know you more and more. We give thanks for your patience with us. We have to confess, Lord, that having come to know you and the desire that we have to know you even more, that there are times that we live as if that was not our desire. But we give thanks that there is plenteous redemption with you, and that you are the Lord who leads us on, that your patience with us is incredible. It's amazing, amazing grace, but it's amazing patience that the Lord shows with us. We give thanks, O Lord, for your dealings with us, and we pray that you will lead us on, Lead us on gently, lead us on in the right way. And we pray that you will bless every single one of us. Take us away from here and to where we're going in safety. And forgive us our sin in Jesus' name. Amen.